Um, just so you know uh, how it's going to work with our kids coming back in here. Um, when I'm finished preaching, our classes will be brought in here to the lobby. So parents, go to the lobby to get your kids and bring them to your seat. And I'll just tell you right now, it's going to change next week. We need to check to see what's the best way to do this now that there's more people in here. So next week it'll be different, but this week we're going to continue doing as we've done the past couple months. So when I'm done and the, the song starts, send at least one parent back to the lobby, bring your kids in, um, and we'll continue on from there. Does that make sense? Great. All right, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read most of this chapter. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came to be, came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they required, inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing before them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us with this same authority and power, that it is by your servant that the the Holy Spirit spoke in the scriptures, and God, we pray that our hearts would be attentive to that word. We offer ourselves to you that our eyes might be fixed more clearly and cleanly on Jesus and our hearts might be set ablaze with love for him and him alone. Amen. Uh, this story continues on what we, we looked at last week in Acts chapter 3, which is the healing of this man uh, who was crippled. And the apostles, we remember, uh, saw him and spoke and offered what they could offer, which was healing in the name of Jesus. And so now there's repercussions. And this is the story of the beginning of those repercussions in Jerusalem. And what's happened is they have, they have caused a problem for the ruling authorities. These people who hold power are troubled by what is happening because they are disturbing their grip on power. You know, you can see in the questions that they're asking and the things that they're particularly interested in, they're not so much concerned in the miracle that's happened. They're concerned in the proclamation of Jesus. And they are caught in a bind because what Peter and John are proclaiming is that in Jesus, there is power over death itself. And that that only comes in and through Jesus. And these people are a part of a ruling class, a ruling authority, whose worldview includes the belief that there is nothing after death. That once you're dead, you're dead. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the whole message of Peter and John kind of hinges around the existence of the resurrection of the dead, namely Jesus' resurrection. And they are not prepared to share power with anyone. But there's this guy here who has been crippled from birth. And so they're kind of looking at one another and saying, Lou, what are we supposed to do? I mean, we can't really argue with the evidence here. This guy can walk. He's walking and leaping and praising God, as we talked about last week. What are we supposed to say to this? And ultimately, their solution is, well, we kind of just got to tell them, don't do this anymore. (laughs) Stop. Stop proclaiming Jesus. And Peter and John say, look, what do you want us to do? We can only say what we've seen. All we can do is is say what we ourselves have witnessed in Jesus. All we can do is say what we ourselves have witnessed in this man. 
you be the judge. And it's not really an open judgment. But you say, you be the judge whether we ought to say what we have seen from God. The answer, of course, is that they should. Now, the story that we've read pivots when they go home. They go back to their community of people, their community of Christians. And now they are faced with the prospect of the reality of they are messing with people with real power. They feel the weight of the conflict that it seems like they have instigated. And you have to remember, this community, as far as we know, is entirely Jewish. These people are the high priests and descendants of high priests. They are in charge, not just of the political power, but every organizing principle of what it means to be Jewish. These people sit at the top of the pyramid. And now they are saying, oh no, what do we do? Their response is to pray. Now this early church, this early congregation, they are confessing to God that we have seen your power. And we know that your sovereign hand has been at work even in this very city. That it may seem like all the people with power won in Jesus' story. At one moment, it seemed like Herod and Pontius Pilate, they were the victors in the story of Jesus. But they say, we know that your sovereign hand actually predestined everything that was going to happen. And that this was actually, you were not absent or overwhelmed, but you yourself were working in the middle of Jesus' story. So we're going to just trust that you are going to do something to help us. And their primary concern, the thing that they ask for, is relief from fear. Give us boldness to continue to preach this thing which they do not want us to preach. And you, God, take care of the signs and the healings. Give us the power to preach Jesus. And then the whole room shakes with the response of God by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit all over again. Now there, there are, the, in these two separate parts of this story, there is one central concern, which is the proclamation of Jesus. Both the people who are arrayed against Peter and John and the people who are praying in the room, everybody seems to be clear that the central issue is the proclamation of Jesus. And if you really read this story and think about it, and think about it in your life and in my life, what are the odds that you and I would feel the same way? If I had just seen a man who was 40 years old who had lived his life as a crippled by the gate and is now suddenly walking and leaping and praising God, I would certainly be inclined to believe that is really cool. This is the point of what is going on here. This crippled man has been healed. That's awesome. And it is awesome. But for both the politicians and the people of God, 
They have real clarity in that moment about what the sign is pointing to. Remember, we talked about before that miracles are spoken of as signs. And you're meant to read the sign and see what the sign is telling you. The people are reading the sign of the crippled man healed and understanding what it's saying, that Jesus is the reigning ruler of heaven and earth, and they understand what the sign has instructed them about, and they're concerned about that thing. What do we do about that? We often get distracted by necessary, by good things. And we make good things, important things, into ultimate things. We often, in this world, in our culture especially, get into the grips of questions of power. We are often willing to engage on the terms of Sadducees. What is most important is who holds the reins of power. You and I are inclined to be and behave that way. It is our story from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3. We want to have our grips on our lives, on our family's life, in the life of our church, in the life of our society, and something in us longs and hungers for grasping for power. And we live in a society, in a culture, that sees everything through the lens of political power. Our whole Culture cannot do anything without politicizing it and worships at the idolatry, at the idols of politics. And it would be nice to believe that the church would not be that way, but what do we have for the past 15 months of evidence but a whole lot of testimony that the church itself is easily tempted by the temptations of the Sadducees? It matters who holds the reins of power. And make no mistake, the Sadducees are not incorrect in feeling threatened by what the apostles are proclaiming. Jesus does come and disrupt the systems of power and politics of this world. I'm not standing here and saying Jesus has nothing to do with politics because Jesus proclaimed himself to be king. He is the reigning emperor of the day and governments and systems rise up in opposition to him because they understand he inherently threatens their ultimate claims to power. So in that moment, hearing that truth, it is tempting for us, the descendants of the apostles, to fall prey to the belief that we must protect power because it's important, because it speaks to Jesus and what he does. But Peter and John are laser focused. They won't engage the Sadducees on their terms, but instead insist we cannot but proclaim Jesus. We must proclaim what we have seen and heard. And if we don't get this message right, the wranglings of power in the world become empty, even if you throw Jesus' name on it. Now notice, too, the opportunity for distraction in the second part of the story. The people want to preserve their lives. That is not a bad thing. We we do not have a death wish 
in the church. That is not, nothing in the Gospels or in the Scriptures say, you know what, Christians should be eager for death. We, Paul says in Philippians, it is good to live a long life. It is good to live and serve Jesus alive. And so they are afraid that they will lose something good. And also they are tempted. There is inherent temptation here to make the whole thing about the pursuit of the signs themselves. I, I could easily see a scenario where in the middle of being in, so, in the middle of something exciting that God is doing in the world and seeing that God is healing people and restoring people, I would fix my prayers on that thing. God, give us this. My heart would be obsessed on the miracles and the signs. And let's be clear. The signs, the healing is good. Healing is a sign of the kingdom in the Gospels and all of the New Testament. And God continues to heal people. I myself have been miraculously healed. I myself have x-rays that are only explicable by the power of God. Jesus holds this power to heal people bodily, emotionally, mentally, and he still does that in the world. There's no verse that says he stopped. And it is a good thing to desire and to pray that people might be healed, to desire that they would be healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is a good and godly thing. It is the business of the church and always has been. But if your God becomes all about that healing, if your God becomes the healing, then you easily get shifted over from the thing that God is doing to make Jesus famous to making the thing that Jesus does your personal Jesus. And the church seems to recognize that. And so in their prayer... Their, their gaze prayerfully is fixed on the proclamation of Jesus. Their hearts insist the thing that we need to do, the thing that we need you to miraculously provide for us, is the boldness to keep doing this thing. Proclaim the kingship of Jesus, the power of God to beat back fear and boldly continue to pray. And how do we see God respond to this kind of focus? With a renewed outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You need to see that Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 happens to the same people. Don't, don't get it confused that Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, which is its own unique thing, is not so unique that nothing like that ever happens again. Something happens in Acts chapter 4 that is different from Acts chapter 2, but also can't help you make, help but remember Acts chapter 2. The point being that God loves to pour out His Spirit on His people especially when they are missionally focused on what the church is meant to be about, the proclamation of Jesus. 
When the people are united in saying, you know what we need? We are terrified. We are uneducated. We are common. We want to do the thing that you have made the church for. God responds to that prayer and pours his spirit out on them so that they are refilled. They are are full to overflowing again because the church rightly understands its identity and its mission, which is the proclamation of Jesus. And many of us can read through, glide through Acts chapter 2 and say, man, that's a weird thing uh, that happened with those people way back then. Uh, Now Acts chapter 3, and I don't know what to do with that. But you need to stop and pause for a moment about what the scriptures are teaching you and I. We are in this book together because we need to be clear and reminded that, yes, the day has come where we can be in the same room together. This is not the goal. This is a good thing. This is a godly thing. But the the ability to be all together in one room is not why we exist as a church. We exist for the proclamation of Jesus. We exist to live here and in every day of our lives with our whole lives open for the examination of those who need healing and those who are are craving power and to say, Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, he is the one who is sitting on the throne and in him alone is salvation. Salvation that affects every moment of your entire existence. Now, not just in the future, but in the future as well. Salvation comes through him and him alone. That is why we exist. And you and I have to make some confession together. We are often just as afraid and distracted as these people could have been and often were. How often do you and I live in our daily lives and we say, I don't quite know how I can mention the name of Jesus right here. I don't quite know if I know enough answers to the questions, if I am in a good enough place spiritually, if I have a good enough read of the situation, I don't quite know if this is the moment to bring Jesus into the conversation. And we are just like them. We we are just like them. You cannot look at me and say, well, this guy's been to seminary. Like, he's read a bunch of books. I don't know as much as Anthony, so I can't say anything. One, I don't know that much. Two, you don't have to know much either. The opinion of these people, of the Sadducees looking at these apostles was, these people are uneducated and common. At the very least, you are in good company with two men who hung out with Jesus for years and still appear to be uneducated in common. So if you can hang out with those guys, you are qualified. The distinction and and the success of the apostles' ministry was not about their proficiency, their knowledge, or their personal power. It was in Jesus demonstrating his own power through them. It is not your weakness. 
and your uneducation that disqualifies you. It's, it's those things that uniquely qualifies you to be yourself a living sign and testimony of this thing, the powerful reign of Jesus in the world now. And we exist, Valley Hope, as a church together for this purpose. We, we love how Jesus comes and disrupts our lives. We see the many ways that Jesus' reign and rule affects both the power structures of our family and the whole world. We see it. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's part of what being reformed is all about. We see the way that Jesus heals people, restores people. I've seen it in my heart and in my body, and I love that. But we are here for the proclamation of Jesus. We are here for that together. We are here for that individually. We are in this valley preaching the power and the magnificence of Jesus so that this whole valley might be filled with the glory of God the way that the waters cover the seas. You and I are here and we are celebrating. It is wonderful to be back together. I love it. Believe me, I'm happy that I don't have to preach again. I, I love that I'm only doing this once and I'm doing it with all of you. I love it. This is not the goal. Our goal for the past 15 months as a church has not been this day. And if we have failed to communicate that to you for 15 months, that is on me and I apologize. But this is not the bullseye. Our doors are meant to be open and you and I are meant to be launched from here so that every single person in this valley has a relationship with a person who can tell them the name of Jesus and invite them to come and find the salvation that is only available in him. Church, you are meant to hear Acts chapter 4 and have your vision corrected. Is your life about the proclamation of Jesus. That, do, that doesn't mean that you need to quit your job and occupy every street corner of this valley. That is unlikely to be a very helpful strategy in reaching all of our neighbors. It does mean that wherever you go to work is a place that God has called you vocationally to do work that praises his name and to love people and proclaim the name of Jesus as you serve them. Is your life about that? Is your parenting about that? Is your pursuit of friendship or romance about that? I have to confess, mine often is not. I'm busy, I'm tired, and I'm afraid. And if you are like me, you need to read Acts 4.31. Because I cannot tell you or tell, tell me, look, you just need to shape up and get better. What you need is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You need to be bold. We need to be bold together to say, God, we... We are uniquely unqualified people. We are afraid and distracted. Would you, would you please supply what we cannot supply ourselves? And what you are meant to see in Acts chapter 4 
is that Jesus is faithful to his promise. When he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, he was talking to you. He was talking to you. If your heart is cold and your obedience is more missed than hit, he was talking to you. I will never leave you. If your life has become organized around your own pursuit of good things and not about Jesus, his words of promise were for you. And the salvation that you yet need one more time can only be found in him. That's always been the only plan. So if you found yourself wandered off pursuing your own mission, if we have wandered off together as a church pursuing our own mission, the answer is the same. The prescription is the same. Salvation only comes in him. And he will never leave his people. He will never abandon his church. Today, this prayer needs to be on your lips and mine. We are meant to be the people together and individually that act as a signpost to the world and says, I don't know what else we're supposed to say. Something's going on here. We can't rightly explain away or explain, period. The signs are saying, it's all about Jesus. And that is the truth of the thing. It is all, always, only about Jesus. Let your heart be called and beckoned to him by that truth this morning. And come experience the refreshing power of his giving of his own spirit to his people again and again. Because we need him now and forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, we are so grateful that you have not, uh, you've not sent us on our own way. We confess to you that we're often distracted. Good things, important things, we're distracted people. We're happy to settle for good things instead of the, the best thing. But God, we're so grateful that your word is clear. That our lives are meant to be together individually about the proclamation of Jesus. God, we thank you for that correction that frees us to be who we were really meant to be in you. And God, I pray for people who are here today who are weary, who are frustrated and discouraged, who are afraid. God, I pray for, for Valley Hope at this moment in history, June 13th, the first time that we can be back and worshiping together, Father, I pray that we would take joy and delight in seeing one another and worshiping together. But Jesus, I pray that we would experience a kind of leaning forward into your spirit. As we remember and reclaim together what maybe things we've set aside or not known how to take up in, in 15 months of pandemic, God, I pray that our hands would be open and we would say to you, Lord Jesus, please send your Holy Spirit. Fill us with power. Fill us with boldness so that we might live our lives to the glory of your name. 
Fill us, Lord Jesus, not for our sake, not for achieving those good ends, but for the proclamation of your name. Fill us, Lord Jesus, again and again. Only in you can salvation be found, not just for those people over there, but for us as well. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love for us that is faithful and enduring and lively. God, help us to respond to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.